Welcome to the Middle Class to Millionaires podcast, a no-nonsense show designed to help you punch fear in the face and create the life you've always dreamed of. Now, here are your hosts, Vince and Christian. Everyone, welcome back to Middle Class Millionaires. I'm your host, Vince, with my co-host, Christian. And today we have a special guest, a friend of mine. His name is Troy Bravenbore. Troy, how you doing? Hey, I'm great, Vince. Thanks so much for having me. Good to have, good to be here. Yeah, thanks, Christian. How are you today, sir? I'm doing very well. And again, thank you, Troy. Yeah, you're the man. Great to be hanging with you guys. Cool. Well, thanks for taking your time. Uh, let's just get right into it. We've got a lot to cover, and um, excited to have this interview with you. You know, I've known you for, uh, I guess, shoot, two or three years now, maybe, maybe about two years, I guess, since uh, since Distinct became a thing back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. I moved here in January last year, so that'll put it right, you know, about two years. Yeah, yeah, almost two years. Cool. Well, uh, obviously, I know you. Christian doesn't know you too well, um, and the people listening don't know you. So let's just get into it and uh, tell us tell us who you are and um, a little bit about your upbringing, and then we'll just kind of go from there. Yeah, sure. I, I, first of all, I, I just want to kind of give you guys kudos. And for those listening, this is not my normal radio voice. I'm a little hoarse today, but... Um, yeah, kudos to you guys for putting this podcast together. I think it's such a, uh, a unique topic, and I think it really hits home. You have listeners that are either middle class or almost millionaires, or maybe they're newer middle, you know, millionaires, you know, early seven-figure earners, and it's such a neat place to be because, like, being a millionaire now is really just the new like, you know, $100,000 a year type of earner that it was back in the 90s. I mean, even being a millionaire is not what being a millionaire was back in the early 90s when we were kids. You know, it's almost like to have the level of freedom and flexibility people dreamed of when they were a kid, you you actually almost, you you, kind of almost have to be a millionaire nowadays. So I think it's a perfectly timed podcast. And I think it's such a great niche and such a great um, you know, such a great space to speak to. So, uh, super cool guys. Cool. Thank you, man. I really appreciate yeah, that. Appreciate yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, man. So I grew up, man, I grew up in Northern New Jersey in uh, a small town called Vernon. And, uh, there's actually a really beautiful part of New Jersey, believe it or not. And that's where I'm from. It's not all just, you know, the slums and armpits of America. There's actually a really nice part. <laughs> and, uh, it was a pretty rural area, but it really boomed in the late eighties and early nineties where I grew up there. It's about an hour and 20 minutes from New York city. And basically in the late eighties, mid eighties, there were, there were all these summer homes from the fifties that all these New York Cityites would have like their summer vacations and, they would live in my town in the summer and then go back to their regular homes in the winter. So all these summer cabins without, you know, without being winterized and insulated. But once that started to become a thing, people started really moving out to Eric is really pretty late community. Actually, Danny Cass was the guy who won the first half pipe uh, gold medal in the Olympics in the nineties or 2000, or I think whatever it was, he was from my hometown in New Jersey. So it was like really pretty area. I grew up snowboarding, playing hockey and my dad was uh, a carpenter, is now uh, retired. My mom is a nurse. She's, she's been passed now about 11 years or so. And uh, I grew up total middle class life. Like we didn't have all of the gadgets and widgets and, you know, we didn't do everything, but we did a lot more than most. But we definitely weren't like crazy well off. You know, we had our two week vacation that we had every year. You know, we played hockey, we snowboarded, but I heard my dad complain about how we picked the most freaking expensive sports to participate in, you know? And uh, yeah, and that's kind of how I grew up. And I grew up thinking I was going to, you know, I kind of was a hippie in, in, in my later high school years. And I got accepted to a design school in upstate New York for graphic design, which transitions into industrial design and was kind of like the go to school, get a great job that pays good money. And that's what you're going to do for your life. And, uh, and in my freshman year of college, I got talked to about a, like an MLM, like a network marketing opportunity. I'm not involved in MLM now, but it totally changed the way I thought about making money where I realized that, Hey, you can work for profits instead of wages and you can be better at something than somebody else and get paid more than somebody else to be able to do that work. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I had this whole epiphany 
on man, if you could be funny, you know, people could choose to be financially independent. And if you could choose to be financially independent, I wanted to be financially independent. Wow. That's good. So that, that was in uh, college. Did you ever, did you finish college or was that like your moment where you're like, screw this, I'm dropping out. I'll give you one guess. What do you think? You dropped out. I dropped out. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, when you realize that the road you're going on is not going to take you to the place that you want to go, there's no sense in going on it anymore. You know, that's good. I think that's rare though. I think a lot of people think that they still have to go to college. Like they're like, okay, I have this epiphany where I could, uh, what you said was so good. It was so quick. I, hopefully people didn't miss that. You said where you can earn profits over wages, like people that's man. I know that sounds so simple, but when you really look at that, that's not simple. That's beautiful. And I don't mean, I mean, mean this in a terribly bad way, but I think our culture is really complacent on just the, the day to day, like this works for me, or I was told to uh, go to college and get a job. Like, yeah, yeah, I could, I could work for myself and get money, but I'm supposed to go to college. So let me do that. I, I think more and more people are waking up to the fact that you don't have to do that. And you can kind of break free from how, you know, our parents and their parents' generation grew up. And I, I think we are seeing obviously a lot more of that now. So I just think it's really cool when people can realize like, Hey, I don't have to do this. Yeah. Just because I mean, totally. I right. I, I mean, do this. I mean, like, here's the Go thing, ahead. right. Is that like, there's, there's, there's been a drastic need for an educational reform for the longest period of time. And, you know, thankfully I was able to kind of like be a little privy of it in the early two thousands. And, you know, now it's, you know, I think I think one thing that really helped and hurts this space is like influencer and influencer marketing, because it really like, unfortunately, if you're pretty, you can get paid. And it, and sometimes that's the only thing that people bring to the marketplace. And it's such a shallow value. But nonetheless, I think, you know, this whole influencer lifestyle, it, it broke young people out of the idea of like, I have to get a job. Now, unfortunately, it like comes accompanied with maybe like a shallow way of living, but at least it's made like this concept mainstream that like, no, you don't really have to go to college and you don't really have to get a job. And that is an old way of doing it. And I mean, the research is out there. I'm not going to like conspiracy theorize this, but the reality is a school was never designed to create a free man. It was designed to create no. a working man. And that's why everything from, you know, how school is from when you're young to when you're old, it's all about the nine to five and creating employees. And it really yeah. doesn't serve the, the, it doesn't, it doesn't serve the wild at heart man or woman that wants to change the world. So, you know, where, where you yeah. know, where, uh, that, that stemmed from, right? The whole nine to five spitting them out kind of thing. I, man, I want to feel like it was something with like Russia or some Eastern like military. I just heard the other day, that it was like based off of some of educate, but I'm not really too sure. Please let me know, Christian, what is this? Yeah. So it could be that. And, uh, so, uh, Rockefeller actually came up with the, um, the public education system back in, I think 1903. And he even has a quote of him saying that, that he doesn't want, uh, people who think critically and, you know, he doesn't want thinkers, he wants workers. So, uh, it stems all the way back to uh to that time period and that's kind of where we've um grown from if you will yeah 100 percent. i'm not shocked and we won't go on conspiracy theories <laughs> that, that it's rockefeller like as soon as you said his name I'm like, oh, well that makes sense something you said just a second ago about how you can you, you don't have to have a nine-to-five you can pursue your dreams uh, and the, about the influencer kind of lifestyle what you're saying you know the negative side is everyone thinks they can be one and that's you know it is what it is but on the positive side, the people who really have kind of their breakout moments and get to do what they want to do passionately, like Christian and I are big car car guys. And um, two, two people that I'm thinking of right now who literally make a living based on their influence in the, in the car world, a guy named Dustin, I can't remember his last name. Christian, you might know him. He's, he's in Japan a lot. He bought a Skyline R34 and he's got R33 and a GTR and all these cars. Um, He's got like 765,000 subscribers when I last checked. And all he does is he just vlogs about his car life and going to Japan and going to all these places. And he, I mean, you know, 765,000 followers on or subscribers on YouTube is no, no easy feat. No. And um, he's making a killing. And then he obviously designed like his, you know, a lot of people design their own clothing brand 
kind of when you get to that level, you know, and he did that and he makes money on that. And then another girl I follow, her name's uh, Amelia Hartford. Um, she, she did the same thing. She uh, started vlogging uh, on YouTube and then, you know, obviously hit Instagram and she's, she's huge. I think yesterday she was like 66,000 subscribers away from a million on YouTube. Crazy. And like, and they're doing everything that they are passionate about and her specifically, she's, I don't mean to go off on a tangent, but she's been able to do uh, promos with Chevy, uh, introducing the new Z06 and uh, some new Acura cars. And like, she's uh, working with big brands all out of her passion for cars and just, and just pursuing it. You know what I mean? And, um, I just think it's so cool. We live in a time literally where you have no excuse not to be successful or not to pursue your dreams. You know, if, if you're able to capitalize on your passion and, um, make it, make it a full-time thing, that's, that's fantastic. I think that's directly tied to the needs of, of, uh, society and whatnot. And let's just say you, you're not able to, to capitalize on this passion. Well, the next thing to do would to be find a wealth vehicle that can, you know, launch you and, and build your wealth for you. So that way you can enjoy your passion as well. Bro. I think, I think that's so on point Christian, right? Because, you know, in this like rainbows and Skittles entrepreneur land, people are like, find out what you love to do so much that you would do it for free and then be so good. People will pay you any amount of money to do it. And you're going to be super rich and super happy. And you're like, you know, people are out here literally have no clue. Like their favorite thing in the world is eating Doritos and they're like trying to eat the perfect Dorito and wondering why they're not super wealthy. Right. And the reality is, is like sometimes what people you know, what people like to do as a passion, it doesn't bring the marketplace any value. So yes, like, sure, try to find out how, what your passion, how you can bring the market value with what your passion is. But the reality is, is if you're in your late teens or your early 20s or even your early 30s, like, don't do that. Find, find a vehicle that, that has already proven to get people to a level of financial independence already and follow that model and learn those skills. And when you learn those skills and you become to a place where you have enough financial flexibility to then launch your own thing, you're going to have the clout the experience, the skills, the network to be able to launch it the way that you want to. And you're reducing a vast amount of the risk. I think people are so misguided when they're being told to just follow their passions. Like I don't personally love, like in the beginning, I'll say I didn't love everything about trucking, but I love the idea, especially door to door sales. When I did door to door sales, I did not love door to door sales, but I love the idea that I could work for 18 weeks and make $180,000 and I could take the next 34 weeks of my life off and do whatever I wanted to do those next 34 weeks. So it's like, I think, I think that would be my tip to like anybody who's new in this journey in the middle class to millionaires is find an opportunity. Oftentimes it's going to be sales. It's just the bottom line to it because that's where you're going to be able to make more in an hour than someone else is going to be able to make in an hour. Find a vehicle, find a company, find a mentor or a sales team that you can tr- that you can shadow that has a proven model that makes you know whatever amount of money whether it's 80 grand a year or 100 grand or 200 grand a year that says, "Hey, these are all the people that we helped do it last year. If you do this model, then then I can do it." then if you do, if I can do this model with them, then you can do it, find that model, do it. And then you're in a position to launch what you want. I'm not saying it's that you have to, but I'm saying that if you don't really have a direction and you don't really have money and you don't really have confidence, that's where I would start. Cause that's what helped me. You're paid in direct proportion to the value you bring to society. Exactly. It's a perfect measuring tape, right? Like you can't sit here and be like, well, I really should be paid more. Like no doorknob, you should not be paid more. You're not producing for the market. So you're getting paid exactly to the value. And this is like a concept I have to talk like your human value is different than your market value. Some lady used to work for me, got super offended when I wouldn't pay her more because I told her that she didn't bring the value. She's like, I'm very valuable. Thank you very much. And I'm like, yes, you as a human are priceless, but your market value is 600 bucks a week. If you don't like that, I'm sorry. You just blunt. That's what, that's what works. Well, I think, I think that was a good segue to, uh, 
talk about so you got into uh into trucking into freight you launched brave freight uh how many years ago 2013. okay nine years ago so what what made you launch that yeah man it was uh i was doing door-to-door sales which is like more lowly looked upon than used car sales and definitely <laughs> lower than telephone sales which i'd done well done telephone sales but um, and I just, the whole time, man, I was really believing God for my own business. The four years that, uh, well, I guess four years of alarm sales and I did another like two and a half years. So basically like six or seven years of door to door sales, I was just believing God for my own business. And I just really, you know, leaned into the scripture that says, be faithful with another man's and then God will give you your own. So I was serving, mm. I was serving a very good friend of mine. Who's an incredible business guy. I'll, I'll recommend him to you guys. You t- should totally interview him. He's my buddy that did the NFT project. He just raised, I think, like nine million for a seed round, and oh, five sick. and a half. About him. Yeah, five and a half million of it came from his previous employer that he just left. You know, like the guy who owns. He's always. You know? So he's just a phenom, absolutely incredible. But I, you know, I served him as my manager and served the vision of the team. And you know, the Bible says work under the Lord, right? So I just. I worked under the Lord and I gave everything my, I gave it my everything. And then, you know, the whole time I was believing for a business and, um, I felt this transition in my spirit and, uh, it was door to door sales. I did a summer program. I went to a wedding in November in Missouri of 2012. And, um, I, uh, after the wedding was like a ghost town and my wife, uh, happened to have a friend of hers who was doing a tent crusade in Missouri at the same time, who was originally from Texas. And at this point we're living in Florida. So, you know, we reach out to him like, Hey, you want to do breakfast? And he's like, yeah, sure. So we meet up for breakfast and I meet up with him in a coffee shop and he's plinking away at his computer. And he's like, hang on, let me just finish some stuff with my business and we'll have breakfast. And like immediately in my spirit, it was like Elizabeth, when John left in the womb, it was like something like jumped on the inside of me. And I was like, man, what business when he was done working, I was like, what, what business do you have that allows you to travel in full-time ministry, but still have a business to come in? And he's like, well, it's trucking. And I'm like, all of a sudden I just started asking all these questions, like how much does a truck cost and how do you get in and what's the model and blah, 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 blah. And it was like, it felt good. So as soon as that happened, I'm, came back down to Florida and I just started turning over rocks. Like who do I know who's in trucking? And I didn't really know many people. I talked to one lady whose husband had recently passed and he owned a couple, she owned a couple of his trucks and they were like 1980 rust buckets. Now that I know what I was looking at, like I was looking at, I was looking at junkyard scrap. (laughs) It was nuts. But nonetheless, I just kind of, you know, just, I just kept going and going and showing the Lord, like, Hey, I'm open. Like I'm pursuing this. And then, uh, one thing like, like within the next month or some acceleration, we felt in our heart, God told us to move to Texas. And at the same time, this crusade evangelist left the road doing his crusade ministry and started a television ministry in Fort Worth. And it was like, at that same time we moved in and it's like, we were able, I was able to copy his business model hand in glove. And he showed me how to get started. He helped me buy my first truck. And, uh, we bought our first truck and got it up. By the time we got on the road, it was the, uh, it was the day of the Moore, Oklahoma tornado. And our first delivery was from Fort Worth, Texas to Moore, Oklahoma. And, uh, our driver was in the lot hooking the tractor up to the trailer that day. And, uh, it took him over two hours to get hooked up. He was just having a problem getting what's called the glad hands connected. It's how the air hoses, how the tractor connects to the trailer. And, uh, had he left on time, he would have been right smack dab in the middle of that tornado. But by the grace oh of God, he had some problems and it delayed his start. And uh, thankfully, man, from the, from day one, the hand of God was on the company and we um, we missed the tornado. And yeah, that was that, man. It was, it's been it's been a roller coaster ever since. Awesome. I, I went to your website and checked you checked you out and uh, I ta- uh, saw your story uh, about the when you when you said that you know, your morning had been problem free ever since then you had the divine uh, protection provision and and direction and you've been able to double in size. Um, you know, so on that as a business, someone who's a business owner or entrepreneur or just, uh, in that certain type of personality, a lot of times, um, it's a little hard for them to 
you know, make sure that our decisions are aligned with, with God's and uh, because we deal with, with uh, quote unquote, you know, shiny opportunities here and there and, and we have to be quick on decisions. You know, how do you stay focused on, on, you know, making sure your, your visions and stuff are aligned with God? Yeah, man, I love that question uh, a lot. And I think, I think the main thing is, is God, I think, a lot of times is less concerned about the vehicle we take and he's more concerned about the destination. And what I mean by that is that there's so many people right now that are listening that are like hungry to change their family legacy. I know for me, I was like when I first heard about people becoming financially independent and they would talk about like, you know, be the person where, where every one of your grandchildren can look up and say that man right there is where our financial history changed. And I imagine that mm. that was being me. And I think there's a lot of people listening that are, you know, that they're sick and tired of being broke, that their mom and dad didn't have enough, or they didn't even have a dad, or they didn't have a mom that was around, or they, you know, they've always been on their own and they've been, you know, living paycheck to paycheck, or they've been living, you know, week to week, or they barely have enough to cover. Or as soon as they have money saved up, it's like, man, you know, their brakes go or their tires blow. And it's like, that little nest egg that they had, it blows, you know? And, and, and it's like, and it's like, I think that's a lot of who your audience is right now. And I think that so many of them, they have a lot of these ideas and they have a lot of these desires. And I feel like a lot of them are just sitting on this fence of indecision. And I think God is just way more concerned of like, is their heart just submitted to him? And the vehicle doesn't matter, man. If you want to go sell shoes or if you want to go sell alarms or if you want to go sell utilities or if you want to do like, yes, I do believe that God has like a perfect opportunity for you. But a lot of times he just wants to see people step out. Like a lot of people are like, well, if my ducks were in a row, I would go. Well, your ducks don't get yeah. in a row until they start moving. Right. So just just start yeah. moving. And, and I would say that number one. And then number two is like God is faithful. You know, like he is faithful to speak to people's hearts. Like it is not like it is not hard to be led by the spirit of God. In Galatians, it says that the true sons of God are led by the spirit of God. You know, it's like Paul, like when you look at his, you know, when you look at his missionary journey, like he went, he just went, he went and went and went and went and went and went. And then one time he was going to go to Macedonia. And then he's like, wait, I feel restricted to not go to Macedonia. So just go, just go and go and go and go and go, but you'll feel restricted when you are doing something or about to do something that God doesn't want you to do. Like God is faithful. He, God actually wants his perfect plan for our life more than we want out, more than we want his plan for our life because his plan for our life isn't just prosperity to have the truck, have the house, have the car, which those things God has no problem with. God owns everything. He has no problem with us having a minuscule amount of it. Even if we had billions, we have a minuscule amount of what God has created, right? What he's more concerned about is, is our life just totally yielded to him? Is it all, is it all his, right? Like, is our life a vehicle for his glory? And, uh, and, and, and it's more about like, Hey, the lives that we're going to impact. So he's, he is very financially motivated and personally motivated I don't want to say maybe not financially motivated, but he is very invested in our success as his ambassadors on this earth because he knows that there's other mothers, there's other fathers, there's other families that are going to be impacted by the listeners getting a break, a breakthrough in their life. So I would say just go, just start doing things wherever, you know, the Bible says, let peace be your umpire. If you have peace about something, if you have a godly mentor and there is an opportunity and you have peace in your heart, just start, go and do, and it might not be what you do forever, but it might be what you do for a season. And that season will get you equipped with skills that will ultimately lead you to the next phase of what your journey is. I hope that answers that's your so question. Good. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so good. That, that's good. So you're talking about seasons. So, uh, I want to hit back on something you said earlier about you were doing door to door alarm sales. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Bro, let me just say my heart goes out to you because I'm that guy who I just bought my house and I know ADT is coming around the door in a day or two to try to sell me an alarm system. Yep. And I, I'm going to, you know, I'll admit I've not been the nicest cause it's just annoying. So I can't imagine, you know, you're, you're, I mean, you're faced with rejection 
daily, constantly. yeah, probably 20, 30, 40 times a day. So in the, in that season for however long it was like, what are some of the biggest things you learned from, from doing that? Cause I think there's a lot that you could probably share right now that could help someone either in, in the mentality that you had to keep going and doing the door to door sales or being faced with rejection or taking no's or waiting for that one. Yes. Like I could think of probably a million lessons that you learned that I oh, didn't personally learned, but that I could probably gather that you learned. Yeah, I, w- I would say like, I'm going to come out strong and say this is don't focus on what you're getting, focus on who you're becoming, especially mm. in this early season of your entrepreneurial development is if you've never made a hundred grand or 150 grand or 200 grand before you, you will be paid according to your market value. So don't wish life were easier wish you were better and don't just wish you were better, but be intentional about improving who you are as a human being. Look at your opportunity as your, as the vehicle that you have as your opportunity to build your character, to build your mm. skill set, to focus on doing hard things. I mean, I know, you know, you listen to Ed Milet, Vincent, I don't know, Christian, if yes. you've read his book, The Power of One More is incredible. You know, if it, you guys have listened to David Goggins, and You Can't Hurt Me. I mean, that mentality is like sales and door to door, just going in and going in and going in. So I would say that is like a big first key is focus, not on what you're getting, but who you're becoming. And then the second other thing I would say to that is like in door-to-door sales, we always said, man, if you want to be successful, you have to do three things. You have to have a really good attitude, always be coachable and work ethic, attitude, coachability, and work ethic, right? Those are the, those are the, the, the three variables that are in our control. Like, you know, there's, man, dude, I I don't want to like just talk so much here, but Ed Milet talks about the RAS, the reticular activating system, right? And mm, yep, yep, yep. Th- this is like what the world has like commandeered as like the secret. Like, man, if you think about it, you'll manifest it. And that's not the case. What your, what your RAS, your reticular activating system is, is it's a group of nerves. It's at the base of your brain. And it basically is your filter of what you see to what you retain. I mean, we're seeing countless of advertisements and, and there's so much visual input into our life every single day that our brain would explode if we didn't have some type of filtration system to be able to filter what we see versus what we actually retain. So the RAS is that filtration system. Now, what happens is, is we can program our RAS to retain what we want it to retain. That's why, and this is the reason why I say it's like life is like a camera. What you focus on is gonna, is gonna develop, right? And it's like, and you don't want that to be the negatives. So it's like, you know, people that have an RAS that always see the negative things, it has to do with attitude, is they always see the negative things, is they're always going to continue to see the negative things because their RAS is geared to see negative things. I guarantee you can go to any person on this planet, even even who people would idolize thinking that they have the best life. And if you jacked with the RAS to only focus on negative things, maybe not day one, maybe not day two, but by day 14, day 30, by day 45, day 60, if all you did was walked around and pointed out that's negative, that's negative, that's negative, that's negative, that's negative, their brain would be so jacked up and they would just continue to see the negative, the negative, the negative, the negative. And the second law of thermodynamics says that things will always tend to disarray unless purposely kept in order. Order. It's like it's like the law of sin and death, like entropy. Things will decay unless you purposefully try to keep them in order. Like our brains will always tend to the negative. The negative is the easy way. It's like the downhill of gravity. It's like the easy way for our brains to be focused. Instead, we need to we need to program that RAS. That's why you know you look at the word of God, it says all things work together for the good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his plan. So when that is activated in your RAS, even when something bad happens, your RAS is programmed. There's good in this. There's good in this. There's good in this. God has something good in this for me. Like when Slack was developed, Slack was originally the, the, the communications platform was originally designed as a, as a game. 
and they wanted to do this whole game. I don't know all the details on it, but they actually developed this chat system so all the developers and everybody could communicate. Well, the game failed, but the chat system that they created to make the game is what ended up being the shining star, and they pivoted, and that ended up being the huge success. But unless they were geared to find, to have the attitude to look for the silver lining, to look for the opportunity, then they would have missed out totally. That's why attitude is such a big part. And and it's not just this like secret manifestation. It's that God's actually designed our brains to be able to manifest what we're thinking. And that's why it's that's why Joshua it says in the book of Joshua, meditate on the word day and night. That's why we're told constantly to keep the word of God on our tongue, to not let it depart from our eyes, because there's power in the word of God. And when we when we activate that word of God with our reticular activating system, bro, it's like a knockout, one-two punch. You can't do anything about it. So boom, you have that RAS, that's your attitude. And then you have your work ethic, which I don't care how good your attitude is, is if you're just sitting in the house smoking joints all day, you're not doing anything with your life. I mean, it's like a million times zero is still going to be zero, right? Well, that zero is like your work ethic. If you have zero work ethic, you're beat skis. And then coachability. Coachability is like is like the accelerator to the opportunity because there's nothing new under the sun. If you haven't made a million dollars, somebody else has. That's why I say if you can partner with somebody else, they're the ones that are going to be able to help you learn your mistakes faster. So it's like attitude, work ethic, coachability, and then focus not on what you're on what you're getting, but who you're becoming. Man, if you'll do that, the next five years will look totally drastic than the previous five years. That's so good. Holy cow. I feel like you just covered our first two episodes in like five minutes. Our first two episodes <laughs> are on mindset. And uh, Christian and I are really big on on mindset because I think, Christian, I might be speaking for you. Correct me if I'm wrong. But, I mean, we both feel that our mindset, you know, it, it has the power to change, to change really anything. You know, if you're, like you were saying, if you're constantly being negative and thinking negative and, and just just being negative that's all you're going to see everything that happens to you is going to be negative every the world's against you blah 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 you know ed Milet says uh things don't happen to us they happen for us or however he says it you know basically right, yeah. like you know like try to try to find the good in whatever happened to you and and learn the lesson from it um i have a quote i don't know if it's my quote but i i've stole it as mine uh mistakes become failures only when we learn nothing from them so most people, you know, when they feel like they failed, it's, ah, oh, man, I failed. This sucks. I guess I shouldn't do this anymore. Okay, well, it's only a failure if you didn't learn from learn from it. Like, what can you learn from your failure? And that's all just a mindset thing. Talked about this a gazillion times, probably to the death of me. But uh, Ed Milet and Gary Vee uh, both have their own verbiage on how they say this, but they talk about stacking gratitude. That's mm-hmm. uh, Gary's phrase. You know, just constantly being grateful for for everything, everything you can think of. And I'm I'm, you know, as much as I preach it, I don't always do very well at it, but it's always in the forefront of my mind. So I correct myself. But I feel like if you can live in a state of gratitude, you just you just live a happier life. You know, you're you're positive because you're just, you know, like your your trucker who got delayed, like he could have been just so pissed that, man, this sucks. I'm two hours behind, blah, blah, blah you know, and just could have been, had a total terrible attitude about it. And he might've during the whole thing, but then you, you realize what happened as a result of it. And you're alive because of something that was delaying you. And just, I just think mindset is just so huge. And if people could really grasp that and really like focus on even just developing their mindset, uh, in studying people who are winners, Christian, and I hear this is, I mean, this is probably his thing, but I, I've kind of taken it. We were, uh, he was watching some uh, Christian. What, was, what are those YouTube videos? I'm blanking right now. Um, um, those, they're, uh, they're yeah, they're basically documentaries on extremely successful hedge fund managers, um, and it just goes over their life, their philosophy, uh, and their uh, ups and downs, wins and losses. And um, I always like to learn about you know those guys because, or anyone's really successful because uh, there's always something to take away from how they dealt with certain certain situations or how they, um, you know, overcame and, and, and super valuable lessons or invaluable lessons that they they talk about um, that have helped them throughout their career. Um, and I like to, you know, apply it to, to my or myself and, and my uh, path that I that I'm taking. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting as you were talking, um, 
you know, Vince, and you're talking about this attitude of gratitude, the Lord, you know, I just, I, uh, uh, just last week I was really pressing in for some things with the Lord and, uh, he just really illuminated some scriptures in Philippians for me. And, you know, you were just talking about, I think the comment you made was, man, if people were just more grateful, then they would just lead better lives. And in Philippians 4, uh, 4 through 7, I'll kind of chop hmm. around a little bit. But it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And then it says here, it says, be anxious for nothing, but in all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be yes. made known to God. And here's the result of that, right? Here's the result of that. So there is cause and effect for everything in the Bible. And when people can start to look at the scriptural plan, this is where the word of God, they start to they start to use it as the sword to have a victorious life. It says, and then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So it's not, there's not just some like new agey thing on like why, oh, well, gratitude is good for the soul, brother. No, it is the supernatural <laughs> peace of God that surpasses all understanding that guards your heart and mind because you have requests submitted to God through a heart of thanksgiving. Like it's not a in undiscovered science, like the word of God will equip everyone to leave, live a victorious life, not just financially, but an emotionally prosperous life. Cause what does a prosperous man, if they gain the whole world, all this money, but they lose their soul, they lose their family, they lose everything else. Yeah. Like anybody that is willing to put their wife and their kids on the altar for the bill, for the dollar bill, man, you're deceived. Get your family right, get your heart right, God will only bless you. You'll, you'll have the devil's blessing the other way, but God will only bless you is if you'll put his priorities first. That's so good. It's so funny that you mentioned Philippians because that's my favorite book in the Bible. <laughs> you know, just, I, I feel like it just, it just kind of teaches you how, just how to be a good human being, really. Like, yeah. Believer or not, it just, I think a non-believer could read it and walk away learning something about how to just be a good person, you know, mm -hmm. like, if you're constantly negative and complaining and, and X, Y, Z, no one's going to want to be around you. No one's going to want to be your friend. You know, people want to be around people who, who bring them up. I used to have this coworker who, who, uh, when I used to work at, uh, I used, and actually Troy I used to work in logistics for about five years. Yeah. That's what Vince was saying. Yeah. So I used to have this coworker and, and they were always complaining. Like that was just their normal language. I used to actually, I used to sit next to her. And so I put my headphones in to, to block out the <laughs> negative noise, but there was always something bad happening to her. Like always like flat tires, um, you know, car accident. And I think, uh, all that negative, uh, you know, talk that she always was talking to herself about. And, and, uh, I think it really put an effect in her life. So it's interesting that, you know, you talk about the negative and if you're constantly negative, it's going to be uh, portrayed and uh and things that happen to you too yeah and i'll tell you this is that your employer does not want to hire negative people like no. it, if you are your employer and, and i'll tell you this if you're in sales or you're looking to be in sales or even if you own a business your customers don't want to do not want to do business with a negative person like they already have enough you know negativity watching communist news network they do not need to <laughs> buy a service or a product from somebody else who's negative. Man, people need people that are being, that are being hopeful, that are serving yes. the community with joy. That's so good. Could you imagine trying to work at, uh, with Ed Milet or, uh, Sean Whalen or Gary V or any of those guys and being negative, bro, especially Gary V you'd be fired <laughs> you'd be in five done. seconds flat. Done. Absolutely. They don't have a tolerance for the negativity in their life. And like kind of on a personal level, um, my wife and I, uh, I won't say the specific scenario, but we've, a couple years ago, we had a set, Christian, I might have talked about this in our last one, actually. I had to set certain boundaries with some certain people. And it was because those people brought a, a negativity into our home, into our lives. And uh, I'll just, I mean, it was, a, it was a family member. Okay, so I don't want to go too specific. But it, this, this person made... Um, brought strife into my home and when they would come and visit my wife and i would always fight when they were not there we would not fight 
but they brought and i'm not i'm not i don't want to make it like spiritual but they brought this like this negative you know maybe it is negative spirit like into our home and it was just it it would drag us all down and we had to set boundaries like hey love you can't wait to see you but you can't stay here anymore you gotta stay because we just can't have this in our home so we set boundaries of what we allow into our lives we don't allow drama we don't allow negativity if if you have any of those things and not to say i can't be there for you if you're facing something yes right yes totally if, if that's who you are and who you always project uh sorry i want none of it yeah like don't be that employee that always has a problem like i've had employees before that it's like and then and then it's my this my my husband's ex-wife my my grandmother my this my that my house is breaking down like Dude, enough. Quit it. Like everybody's got challenges. Like we're done. Yeah. Let me ask you a couple more questions about um, when you were first getting started. Obviously, you know, as a, a new company, a lot of companies don't succeed after or don't make it after the first like year or two, whatever the stat is. So you're going on year nine. What were some of your early struggles um, and successes? And what were how did you overcome some of those struggles? Yeah. Oh my gosh, bro. I knew nothing about nothing in the beginning. Um, I had a little bit of money saved, so it probably helped pad me for my stupidity. It was like a year and a half into it. Like, cause like trucking's really interesting because like your truck makes five or $6,000 a week. You're like, that is sick. But then you're like, okay, cool. But the fuel bill that week was 1300 bucks. And then I have a $1,700 insurance bill at the end of this month. And then Oh, I didn't realize I have an $8,000 truck repair that'll happen in five months from now, you know? So like cash flow, that was like a big difference for me is like learning that as a business owner, like in sales, it's a, it's, it's a very low risk. It's like high reward, low risk because you don't have much liability. I mean, if you own the company and it's a product or service that maybe you can get sued or back charged from, yeah. But with sales, it's like, man, you get a contract signed, that, con that contract executes, you get your money, rinse and repeat, awesome. But like in more of a traditional business that has COGS and, and you know these other costs, it's like I had no clue how to manage money over time. And you know I, I had no clue about that. And really it was man, again, God is more concerned about us being successful than we are concerned about being successful. I was on a ministry trip where we were, uh, me and my wife were running the soul, will, the soul winning department um, uh, and a, a big portion of the evangelism at uh, Calvary Cathedral International at that time, which is ironically enough, such a crazy story, but that's where Mercy Culture Church is right now. And um, my wife graduated from the high school there. And, you know, the ministry we came from has a very good relationship with Pastor Bob. And, you know, that's where God called us to move over in 2013. And we were we were doing evangelism. We were at all the low-income areas in Fort Worth. And we were leading tons of people to the Lord one-on-one -on -one in small groups. And, um, you know, Pastor Bob Nichols had a good relationship with uh, Andrew Womack at that time. And still does and has for a long time. And he has a, a very you know, prolific ministry in Woodland Park, Colorado and Karis Bible College all around the country. And um, we uh, we got invited up there to help share on soul winning and the evangelism that we were doing. And, you know, a, a couple people had heard me, you know, some different things. Somebody had visited that church and saw what we were doing. Well, this guy, Paul Milligan, came up to me and he's like, man, the Lord put you on my heart. I want to give you five thousand dollars. And, uh, man, would love to have, have you guys over for dinner sometime. I really see the plan of God on your life. And this guy at the time, it's probably in the mid fifties. He was the CFO for Andrew Womack's ministry. He owns Solaris healthcare. He owned, he lived in Denton at that time. He owned several different companies and he, we went over to his house for dinner and he, uh, just really gave me some good advice at that time. And he started to share with me a few of the following things. He, to he told me, first of all, the thing that impressed me the most was he gave away 50% of his income. He reinvested 30% of 33% of his income and he lived off of 18% of his income. And that profoundly impacted me because I always heard about people like giving the 90% and living the 10. And it didn't always check with me because I felt like as a steward, like I couldn't see that in the word anywhere. Like I always saw like, even with the parable of, of the talents, like, you know, God 
you know, when it was the man who unfaithfully stewarded the one talent, he didn't say you at least should have given it to the church down the street. So that way you could have treasure where moth and rust doth not corrupt. No, he didn't say that. He said, you should have at least put it in the bank where I would have gotten interest on my money. So I still feel like there's this responsibility of a steward to multiply what God has entrusted us with. And I saw that in him. And I said, man, that is on point. I want to live like that. I'm, I don't, I'll do whatever God wants me to do, but to give away 50% of my income, reinvest 33 from it, from a stewardship principle, like that hit home for me. And then he also taught me about the Joseph principle. And he, and he told me, you know, he saw, the, he saw the Joseph anointing on my life, which is like the crazy thing, because if you saw how I recently got prayed over at the Presbytery at Mercy Culture, the first thing that, that uh, Zane said, Pastor Zane said, was I see the Joseph anointing on your life, which is exactly what Paul said to me all these years earlier. And it has to do so much. There's a stewardship principle there, but there was a strategy, you know, during the seven years of abundance, you're to save 20% of all your goods, et cetera, et cetera. So there was actually a financial strategy at that point to weather the storm through the financial downturn, you know? So God really used him to help me set up some financial boundaries. And then another guy, Tony Udegaard, helped me use what's called a cash flow budget. Most budgets are like rear view mirrors where they look in your previous your previous expenditures and like, hey, this is how you spent your money. But what the cash flow budget does is it's a week over week projection based on previous performance of what your income, what your cash in the bank, plus your expected income, projected income, minus what your expected expenses are based on previous performance. And then it, it actually walks out cash in bank for you week over week over week over week. And you get to see what your cash will project like up to a year in advance, you know? So it's like that cash flow management. I guess this is a really long way to answer your question, but it was like oh, ca good. cash flow management was really like di divinely. Again, this goes to like the, the being coachable, the being teachable. Like when your heart is humble to learn, God will bring you the people. Maybe this podcast for the listeners is the godsend that's helping them, right? Maybe, maybe this is the, this is the olive branch that's being extended the people listening, but God will bring, if you're listening to this, you, God will bring those people. You just have to have the humble heart that's teachable and God will bring them to you when you're ready. It's so good. So Troy, you know, one of the things I like to do is keep track of, uh, uh the macroeconomic environment. Uh, you know, CPI currently at 8.5% and, uh, over the last 12 months and, and, uh, you know, over the last few years, I'm sure you've seen the, how diesel has just, you know, trended upward. What changes have you made uh, to your operation or anything in particular to your industry? Yeah, great question. We actually recently made a massive change like a month and a half ago. Like consumer demand is way down. You know, like when you, like we, we have, we spend a lot of money, tens of thousands of dollars every year for data inputs, looking at, um, looking at freight volume and freight data of all different types of kind, of, of all different types of kind of, of freight from, you know, from construction freight to, you know, from retail to refrigerated goods and food and everything and, and, and just the construction is high and it's tailing off a little bit, but everything else is, is, is very low. Like consumer purchasing right now is, is, is very low, which is not a good sign just for the general economy. And when you look at rail and transport, those are, are generally market leading statistics instead of lagging statistics, statistics, you know, a lot of the other stuff like job is all lagging, you know, because people start to get fired when there's not production because there's not orders. So if you can find like the leading metrics instead of the lagging metrics, I think that gives people a little bit more insight, right? So we recently launched a, a, a whole nother sister company to what we do that serves a, a broader customer base. And we made, we made a whole new offering to, to serve the marketplace. So now, you know, people that own their own trucks and they run under their own authority and they want to, and maybe they have their own contracts or they want to keep their name on the side of the truck. We created a, like a done for you light version, stripped down, dispatching, invoicing, you know, metric system for those clients at a super affordable rate. 
that allows us to basically do what we were doing at Brave Freight. So it allows us to do everything that we're currently doing, um, but we just kind of trimmed it up. We just kind of really like leaned out what the offering was and we're able to offer that offering to a much wider customer base. Uh, that's a, a huge offering that we just built and we're building a, a software um, for the marketplace as well too, that just designed to be able to have more market penetration. Cool. Uh, that's great. And, and so with that, are you implementing, you know, cause uh, trucking has come, come a long way. So with it being, you know, the, the, the modern age, are you implementing technology to help your comp your company advance compared to other companies out there and other automated systems and processes and, and stuff like that? Yeah. You know, and Yes. And I, and I think that's why we're developing, that's why we're developing our software. I mean, we we're creating a whole ecosystem, kind of like what Apple has done. I mean, you have Apple, which started as a computer, right? But now it's phones and speakers and home automation and, you know, and wireless listening. And, you know, I mean, there's been rumors about Apple making cars and right. Like they've created this whole ecosystem and cloud services and, you know, just like Amazon has done, right? So they've created these ecosystems for people to exist in between. And and that's essentially what, what we're doing in the logistics space is we're creating these these eco, this ecosystem where we're able to serve the same customer that we have in their needs and we're able to bring a higher quality service to them and we're able to do it at a, at even if it's not a more affordable price, because I mean, we just try to do things the best price that we can but you know, Apple's not. They say you can have you can have your products three ways or your services three ways. You can have it fast, you can have it cheap, or you can have it quality. But you can only pick two of them, right? So like we yeah. may not always be the cheapest of, of the ideas, but it's gonna be fast and it's gonna be quality. But the ecosystem that drives it. I mean, you know, people are so baked into Apple systems right now. Like they they don't they can't leave because they'd have to change their watch, they'd have to change their earphones, they'd have to change. You know, they'd have to change their calendar. They'd have to ch they'd have to change way too many stuff. They'd have to change how they message their friends. It's, it's a whole ecosystem. So, so that's kind of more of the approach that we're taking into the transportation space. And, you know, people always ask like, hey, well, what do you think about automated trucks? And, it, you know, I, I do think that it's inevitable. I'm looking forward to it. But, you know, to have an 80,000 pound explosive truck unmanned go down the road yeah. before an unmanned passenger vehicle or before an unmanned you know, personal vehicle, I don't see that happening, right? Like I, I see them creating, you know, um, legislation and um, automation for personal vehicles way before I think that legislation is going to approve that for explosive rocket bombs down the road, you know? <laughs> but, but with that said, I think that I think that the value of automation, because you're still going to need to put a person in the truck for the foreseeable future for just even shipping and receiving, you know, manual tasks, right. And filling up the vehicle with fuel or even parking it or tending to a blown tire or whatever the case is. So maybe the person's not driving it, but you're still having to pay a salary to somebody to sit in that truck. So you really don't gain a lot of margin at that level of automation. You actually lose a lot because these trucks are going to be more expensive. I think where you gain in automation is where you're able to make incredibly intelligent decisions that eliminate waste and help the trucks run more efficient routes at more efficient times and work within the network more efficiently. And people are able to make automated decisions faster within the network. I think that's where you're going to have the most margin because you can truly automate that and you can cut, you know, personnel overhead and make, make smarter financial decisions before you just have, you know, remote trucks driving down the road, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. So something similar like Six Sigma type stuff where you're analyzing and, and correcting and improving and whatnot. Right. Well, Vince, you want to finish it off? Yeah, yeah. I just uh, have about two more questions for you, uh, sure. Troy, and then we'll wrap it up. And, I hope uh, you're enjoying it so far. I'm having a blast, man. Dude, this is awesome. I, I love it. I always get uh, I get nervous right before we do all these things. I don't know why. And then when we get to them, I just I get so fired up, and I want to take on the friggin' world when I get done with Dude, this thing. So, tell me about it. I'm Jack. <laughs> this has been great. So I think there's a lot of good business advice here and, and mindset and all that. Uh, I kind of want to shift just a little bit. Um, and this first question will lead into my second question. For you as a man, a husband, a father, you have kids. 
what does success look like to you? I, I think I've come to the point. Okay, so I have this philosophy called uh, called Deathbed Vince or Deathbed Christian or whatever your listeners are right now. Put your name in it. Deathbed John, Deathbed Sarah, Deathbed Deathbed Troy, and it's this concept. It's think about yourself when you're on your deathbed, and if you had to imagine what would be your absolute most horrific regret, like stomach sick, rotten to its core, biggest regret of your life. Like if you, and all the listeners, maybe just do that right now. Just take a second and think to yourself, like, man, if I was on my deathbed, like what would be my absolute biggest freaking regret? Like if it was this, I think some of you would be, man, if I didn't take this chance, I think a lot of people would be like, man, if I didn't take a chance on love, you know, if I didn't take a chance really loving a person, you know, man, it'd be like, if I screwed up my marriage or I screwed up my kids or my kids totally abandoned me or they hated me, or if I committed adultery on my wife or whatever the case is, right? Like that you have, people have to internalize what their biggest regret is and they need to, they need to they need to cement the opposite of it. They need to take actions in the opposite direction to, to positively reinforce that. Because we all know that our brain doesn't know positive and negative. It just knows the thing. So if you're like, man, I really don't want to screw up my family, all your brain hears is screw up my family, right? So instead, oh, okay. it's, it's the opposite. So if, if it's like, man, the biggest regret would be screwing up my family, then it's I, I will have the strongest. I will have the strongest family that has ever been known to man. And you make that resolve. You make that resolve that says, I will love my wife passionately that there, it will never be said that another man could even come close to loving my wife as much as her father doesn't even hold a flame to the love that I have for my wife that, and then you take actionable steps to start to live that way. Right. So I, I think, I think for me, like my number one for me is that if I never lived up to my full potential of how God created me to be, because that includes my family. That includes my marriage. That includes my kids. It includes my businesses, right? Like God's apex plan for me. So, so, so the flip of that would be, man, I live, I live every day in the pursuit of God with a burning passion. You know, like that doesn't mean I sit all day and just, you know, kneel and pray, you know, maybe God calls me to do that sometime, but it's that I pursue God in the morning with my whole heart, that I live totally yielded to him to say, hey, every meeting is your meeting. What do you want to do here? What, what is the message that you want to send in my life today? Every Every interaction, every customer, it's like God. And I think that's success. It's not, it's not the things that you have or the things that you accomplish. It's you have to work your life backwards. Go to your deathbed, right? Go to your death. Really, we know that life is beyond our deathbed. It's really heaven. It's really storing up treasure for ourselves in heaven. And, and you can look at it from that perspective too. But I think that the most tangible for people that they can start out is, is deathbed, Vince, deathbed, deathbed listener, get, get to your deathbed, find out your biggest regret, spin it to the positive, and then make a, make a decision freaking today that will move you in the opposite direction of your regret. Dude, that is so good. <laughs> I loved, I loved your, uh, your rawness and your, uh, your authentic self there, especially when you got emotional. I got emotional over here too with you. And, um, Christian knows this. Anyone who knows me knows this. I mean, everything I do is for the sole purpose of, of being there for my wife and kids. You know, I, uh, I took a shot at real estate when my wife was pregnant. I left a full-time job with benefits because I knew that I didn't want to miss my daughter's first steps, her first words, her first insert, whatever here. And, um, and that's what it's all about. So my, my deathbed is kind of like what you said, how it's, um, did you live up to your full potential of what you were supposed to be as a husband, a father, as a business owner, X, Y, Z? 
uh, and I could go a little bit deeper and get more emotional. I won't, but I want to touch on two things you said that I think uh, could be really skimmed over if, if you didn't, if you, if you missed it. One of the things you said is how our brains don't, um, they can't distinguish between positive and negative. We just hear the thing, right? So Jimmy Evans, you know who Jimmy Evans is? Mm-hmm. Yep. He talks about inner vows. Inner vows are, I will never be like my dad. I will never do this. I will never whatever. But when you make those inner vows, instead of working towards having a good marriage, you're just working towards not having the worst marriage in the world. Right. Such so a low not, bar. You're really setting yourself up for failure because you're not doing what you said, you know, where you're, you know, spinning it into the, I'm going to have the best marriage. So uh, you may not know who Eric Ludi is. He runs a, a church in uh, Colorado. I forgot the town. Eric Ludi is this phenomenal um, pastor in uh, Colorado. And um, he has this thing where he says, he has the best marriage in the world. Like, and he, he says, I'll have the best, I'll have a, the best marriage in the world. I'll have the best, whatever. It's usually always about his wife. So like he says, like no one will ever have a marriage as good as I do with my wife. And it's not, he's being arrogant, but he's like trying to set the bar for him that no marriage will ever come close to what his looks like with his wife. And, uh, I think that's, that's really cool because he, he sets the bar for himself, like you were saying. And, uh, and I think what you said about how, uh, you know, your let's just say your wife's dad will never love her like you love her. Like that's that's a high bar. I mean, I have a five year old daughter, and I I could never imagine any man ever loving my daughter as much as I love her. Like yeah. impossible. Yeah, totally but right. I don't want to think about her getting married, but the day comes when she does get married. I want that man to try to compete, you know, in, in a nice way with loving her as much as I do. Because if he can even get to a half of how much I love her, I know that she'll have an amazing life, right? Yeah. I then, um, I accidentally told my daughter one day, you know, because I was cuddling with her and she's going to bed. And, you know, I accidentally was like, you know, one day you're going to get married and find another man. And she straight up started crying, bro. She's like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want anybody else, daddy. I just love you. Aww. And I was like, yes, baby, I'm so sorry. I'm not going anywhere. You can live with me forever, you know? <laughs> and then, you know, like even the next day, she's like, daddy, I don't want to get married. I'm like, it's okay, baby. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. You're innocent. I shouldn't have even said anything like that. But yes, I don't Dude, definitely understand where you're coming from. I've been there. I, uh, I told my daughter one time, I think it was sometime last year, uh, I was like, I don't want you to grow up. And she lost it. She's like, but I want to grow up. And she started crying. I'm like, oh, crap. I was like, I mean, I want you to grow up, but you're my little girl. And I tried to explain to a four-year-old at the time. Yeah, not yet. Yeah, logic yeah, exactly. behind what yeah. I said. And she did not understand. And then now she's five and like a month or two ago, she's like, I don't want to grow up. I'm like, yes, please don't grow up. <laughs> oh, yeah. My girl comes in my bedroom at night and like, I am, I am like, no, no problem. She's going to be 12 one day and not one not want to do this. So I will take the dad cuddles every day, 100% without a fail. I'll give up my sleep any day. Cause one day I will lose it. One day will be the last oh. day. One day will be the last day. She comes into my room at two o'clock in the morning to cuddle me at night. And I won't know that it's the last day, but one day it's going to be the last day. I got chills. My, my friend, Billy Swinford, uh, said this, Christian, I don't know if you were there for this or maybe it was just me and Billy. We were at a car show and he said that. He said almost the exact same words that you said. He's like, I never know when it'll be the last day that my son wants to hold my hand or my daughter wants to do whatever it is or, or you know, insert anything. He's like, so he lives his life the same way. Like he cherishes every single moment he can because you'll never, like my daughter used to do this thing where since she was born, where she puts her, her hand on whoever, really just me and my wife, puts her hand on our neck while like we're holding her and for the longest time it used to bug my wife and then by her saying that it started to bug me I'm like well why does it bug me maybe because she said that but then we realized like this is just her way of like of cuddling and her she's not very like uh physical but this is her way of being physical so I just started to embrace it because I I started thinking well one day she's not going to do this so I really hope I enjoy every single time because that may be the last time that she puts her hand on my neck to show her affection and I'm going to regret not letting her do that. Exactly. We used to let our kids sleep in our bed. Like you say whatever you want, you know, but my daughter's five and my son's three and they, they come in our bed probably gosh, five or six days. Out of the week. <laughs> Who cares? Cause one day they're not going to want to. Exactly. Yep. So I'm with you hundred percent. 
one of the things you said that, that could be tied back to the deathbed thing, uh, obviously, Ed Milet, you know, we're all familiar with him, at least the three of us on this call. <laughs> uh, Ed has a really good thing where he says, um, Ed wants to live his life so that when he gets to heaven, he can meet who he was supposed to be, where he gets he gets up there yes. yeah. to be, whether it's on earth. And and the other Ed is like, hey, man, you did it. You lived. Well, oh, so the, the thing is. Uh, he meets him and he that the person that he was supposed to be is not a stranger, meaning he was exactly who he was supposed to be. He did exactly what he was supposed to do on this earth and he doesn't meet a stranger like he meets. Oh, that, that we're, I'm looking at the same guy because we, we live the life. That yeah, we're right. Supposed. You maxed out. It was actually in like reading that that kind of helped me solidify that the deathbed, you know, that deathbed, you know, the deathbed version. It was actually part of Ed that helped me that helped me conceptualize that and a conversation that I was having with my coach. That's awesome. Yeah, when you started saying that, I was like, oh, that sounds a lot like Egg Milet. And then I realized that you and I both listen to him and read his stuff. So that's so cool. Christian, do you have anything else for uh, Troy? No, we appreciate you coming on the show, man. Uh, you had a lot of good stuff to say today, and hopefully it uh, touched some people and, and encouraged some people uh, to uh, – you know, really evaluate their life and, and uh, take that, that risky decision that could change it. All it is is just one one choice, one decision that can change your entire life. Man, that's it. Make that decision today. That's so true. Yeah. Man, we thank you so much for being on the show. This uh, I love I love editing these shows because I get to go back and, <laughs> and find nuggets that I might have missed. And then when we when I publish them, I listen to them again. And uh, I think this is going to be one of the ones I listen to probably more than the two times that I normally do. Man, it's this so this good, for man. me, I thank you guys so much. Like, if this was for nobody else, this was for me. This is favorite, my most favorite interview I've ever done. This, I just felt, man, this was just incredible for me. I had such a great time with it. So thank you for the opportunity. I'm looking forward to when it comes out. I can't wait to listen to it again myself, share it with my team, and, uh, and, and share it with my friends, man. I'm, I'm pumped about it. Awesome. So good, man. Thank you so much for being on the show. It will be, for those listening, you'll be listening to this as it comes out. But Troy, for you, uh, I'm probably going to post it hopefully tomorrow, but if not, Thursday for sure. Cool. Thanks so much, man. Thanks for being on the show, everyone. Thanks for Thanks listening, for and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. This episode of the Middle Class to Millionaires podcast has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more tips and strategies on entrepreneurship, life, and business to help you create the life you've always dreamed of. Don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to bring you the best content on planet Earth.